Mini episode 1268 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris. I am here with fellow original FDH Lounge dignitary Chris Galloway for part two of our 2020 NFL preview series going division by division. We are looking here at the 2020 AFC North. And uh, as we sometimes do in these series, we will get a bunch of notes in the first segment and subsequently I will refer you back to that. So for any of our thoughts writ large on the 2020 season, how COVID is likely to affect it from an overall standpoint, I'd say it was about the first 10 minutes or so of part one of our segment when we did it on the AFC East, but uh, we are talking AFC North here subsequently, and uh, again, we will talk about uh, COVID as it affects these teams from here on in, as opposed to in a macro sense. There's at least one team that Chris and I have talked about off-air, and uh, it would be fairly predictable to long-time listeners of the show what team we would be talking about, and that is a team that is going to be affected by COVID, I think, to a large degree. But uh, when you look at the divisional champions here from a year ago and uh, a team that many thought was a prohibitive favorite to make the Super Bowl in the Baltimore Ravens, this is a thing, Chris. I mean, you know and I know that a guy like uh, Colin Cowherd is just a goon who's out there trying to get clickbaits and cheap attention and that kind of stuff. But when he says 16-0 and in a year like this, in a year with as many variables like this, that might be the stupidest thing that man's ever said, and that's covering a lot of ground. Well, it's stupid until it happens. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Um, that said, it's not going to happen. Right. And, and you, don't, you don't ship off, despite what a problem he is, you don't ship off a talent like Earl Thomas and think that back end of your defense isn't going to be affected. Right. Um, no, you know, there's no 16-0 um, with this team. And in fact, you know, God forbid if something happened to Lamont Jackson and he was out with an injury for, you know, two or three, four weeks, um, they're not going to be the same team. And um, although they do have RG3 backing him up, and he's a very similar quarterback, um, but he certainly has got, uh, you know, he hasn't played uh, that well. So as a backup, you know, we don't quite know what think, though, that the Ravens are the clear favorite to win the division um, based on what they did last year as well as, um, you know, the situation with the other teams in the division in terms of uncertainties vis-a-vis the Browns and the Bengals especially. It would be be shocking if the Ravens were not able to repeat uh, as AFC North champs. I would agree with that, but here's the thing also, too. 
The Ravens, and again, they really proved me wrong last year for most of the season, just about all the way through, in terms of, again, I've always said about Lamar Jackson, he'll learn to pass at the NFL level. Oh, great, that's like Ben Simmons learning to shoot at the NBA level. Except Lamar Jackson really has kind of done that, and he really kind of proved me wrong. And last year, my whole thing, especially based on the way they ended the 2018 season, of proving you can come back from behind, they spent an entire year proving that they could until Tennessee got that lead on them and just kept pounding it down their throats and Lamar Jackson couldn't bring them back in the playoffs and what to me was a pretty shocking upset. So I'm not saying we're back at where we were a year ago, but it is a thing here too where, and I'll, I'll always say this about a quarterback that relies as much on his legs as Lamar Jackson, he's broadened his game, he's proved me wrong in that sense, but I mean, when you're talking about well, RG3 similar to him, uh, my reply to that would be, uh, yeah, well, you know, if you're looking at a time machine in 2012, that RG3 was similar to him. But what happened to RG3? He had the knee injury. He lost his legs. He's never been the same since. Well, Mar Jackson has to continue to diversify his game as far as being a pure passer because the, the number of years that he's going to be able to rush for 1,000 yards, that's on borrowed time. No, I agree. I, I think that what Lamar's done so far is amazing. To your point, that um, how he works hard to make himself a better quarterback overall. Uh, I mean, it's just it's been so impressive to watch. Uh, that said, I do think that there are limitations to what the Ravens do um, by relying on his legs so much. I just everybody I know, so many so many analysts are expecting Ravens to go to the Super Bowl this year. And I just wonder if the system that Baltimore runs ends up being like, you know, some of those great, like, you know, to use like an NBA, you know, those, uh, those, those uh, you know, like the Rockets and, uh, you know, all offensive teams and then they get into the playoffs and they cannot, they do a lot of games and then they just cannot adapt to the new environment in terms of playoffs. I wonder if the Ravens are that, you know, perpetual every year. 13-3 and three team with a second-round playoff bow-out. Um, I think there's a real possibility of that, unless Lamar Jackson can get better every year throwing the football. And he has gotten a little better. A lot, you know, a lot similar to Josh Allen has gotten a little better, um, surprisingly. Uh, that, that's a testament, I think, to their coaching and the quarterback that hit Lamar's uh, work ethic. Uh, yes, definitely. I would agree with all of that. And it is a thing here when you look at this, in terms of the number of people picking them to go to the Super Bowl, to me, it's, it's sort of a reductive kind of a thing. And under normal circumstances, I would say maybe a little bit lazy to pick them. But I do kind of understand it because, in the one sense, it's rare for teams to repeat, notwithstanding what New England has been able to do with repeatedly winning the AFC. So if you're looking, if you're casting about for an alternative to Kansas City, Baltimore looks like the only one to me at this point. Now, I, I'm somebody, spoiler alert, who's not necessarily afraid of uh, picking Kansas City in that sense. But if you are a little bit afraid of picking Kansas City to repeat as AFC champions, it seems to me that it's overwhelmingly likely that your gaze is going to settle on the Baltimore Ravens. Well, you're right. I mean, that's that's where you, that's where a lot of people's gaze will go because it's not likely to go in the Chiefs' division. Although maybe it ought to. There's a couple of teams in that Chiefs division that I think are probably better than people realize. Um, 
the Broncos being one of them. If Drew Locke, what we saw last year, it looks like it could be the real deal. We don't know. You know, Denver could be uh, a surprise improved team. Right. Um, the Raiders are. I mean, look, I've got to eat crow on on uh, on uh, on the Raiders because and 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 uh, what's his face? Their coach Gruden. I mean, I mean, you know, the last two years, I mean, I called him a clown, trashed him, da 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 da. But the reality is, he's done more out of that team than I ever thought he would. And you know, they've added more building blocks uh, going into this year. And then the Chargers—that's a talented roster, up and down, up and down the roster. Um, that was really only mostly held back by their quarterback last year. Spoiler alert for my Colts uh, previews. Right. Um, so I, that's a really great division, and I think you you want to you should look at that division if the Chiefs stumble. Um, but I hear to your point, the Ravens are. Um, you cannot deny fourteen and two. You cannot deny how good they were last year until they stumbled against the Titans, um, and they're an obvious team to, to pick. Uh, you know, to, to compete for us right now. But the rest of that division, there's a lot of question marks there. I would agree with that. Uh, there are a lot of uh, credulous individuals in the national media, unsurprisingly, uh, because they really tend to not to focus on the myriad playoff failures that we've seen over the years out of Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers, just assuming, oh, Ben Roethlisberger's back. Here we go again. Uh, making the, the great assumption that he's going to be able to come back from where they were. There was some regression in other areas last year. Smith-Schuster, I don't make too much of it, because when you got a guy named Duck throwing you the football, you can't expect things to be exactly the same. So I do think for some quarters of the Pittsburgh roster, things will pick up a little bit. On the other hand, uh, you know everybody's favorite uh, story, and not to rag on his story because it is an inspiring one, but James Conner to me has always been a better story than he is a player. I don't think Pittsburgh has ever replaced what Le'Veon Bell gave them when he was in his prime. And I look at this, and again, they look to me, yeah, they look like a 9-7 and team. I think that gets you in the playoffs. Uh, they look like a team that, that's going to just sneak in, but I don't see them doing squat once they get there. I agree. I, I have the Steelers at 9-7. and seven. I have them as a playoff team. I don't. I agree with you. I, if they lost in the first round, that's the wild part. Maybe they're the team that's on the road to play the Bills. You know, we've already discussed the Bills on the leader segment. Um, I, I don't. I agree with you. I, I think the team has a feel. I think there's talent there. And I think Roethlisberger obviously makes them a much better team. Um, as long as he is able to still sling the football. It certainly appears as though uh, he still has that in him. But he's going to make a lot of mistakes, uh, as we're seeing in an older Bowman office worker, a lot of INTs. It's going to put their defense in a bad position from time to time. That O-line is getting older. And to your point, they've never replaced Le'Veon Bell with the same level of talent. Although Le'Veon Bell at the Steelers at his peak, was that'd be really hard to just replace. Well, that's fair, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, he, to your point, um, you know they've got they've got some wide receivers. They've got a quarterback that can sling it. They certainly have experience in the coaching staff and their starting quarterback. Um, their running game is at least serviceable. Although I think part of the problem with that is no one ever wants to talk about it. Is I think that that offensive line is starting to struggle with uh, run 
yes. uh, blocking in terms of their age. So I think they can still pass block pretty well for Ben, but the run blocking is struggling, and I think that's a bigger factor in why uh, Connor hasn't been you know, better, if you will. Um, defensively, they've got playmakers all over the place. Uh, so, you know, they're always going to be in games. So I like the Steelers to go to seven. I like them to be competitive. I like them to make the playoffs. And, um, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't see them getting past the round. They're not an AFC championship type uh, team. Exactly. And when you look at playmakers uh, defensively, one of the very best in the league in T.J. Watt, who I have to say, apropos of nothing from, what is it, the Subway commercials, I guess, T.J. Watt and J.J. Watt, you talk about genetics, I'll take this in another direction. Uh, the mom of T.J. Watt and J.J. Watt, she can get it, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> you got nothing for that, huh? <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. Well, um, T.J. Watt's a talent, they can make a Fitzpatrick the fact that's a real yes. talent, and, you know, as much as I was frustrated with him at the Browns, I mean, the fact that basically the old regime of the Browns basically just handed Joe Hayden over to the Steelers for nothing, um, and then he's gone on to play all these years more at a pretty decent level, yeah. um, is just one of the most absurd things that we've ever seen. And you and I railed about it at the time. Yeah. Of, you know, when, at a, in a season when the Browns had no depth in the second grade, they shipped off Joe Hayden for literally nothing. Um, I, I just, you know, and, you know, you're welcome, Pittsburgh. Uh, that all that said, I mean, Pittsburgh's got talent. They're going to compete every week. You're not going to just come in and beat them up. Um, they're a physical team. Um, and, uh, you know, look, look, TJ, unlike his brother, he can stay healthy. So, um, you know, at, at this point, he's a better player uh, than JJ. Uh, exactly. And uh, he, he certainly is because, like you said, he's more reliable, and you just prevent, it provided a natural kind of segue there to looking at the next team, because Joe Hayden, when he went to Pittsburgh, that was during Cleveland Browns Analytics 1.0. Uh, you've been an enthusiast of 2.0, and I, I have to say it's gone a little better than I've expected uh, thus far. It's been a pleasant surprise. There hasn't been the same kind of stuff of, let's cut Joe Hayden because he's not worth the money anymore, because as I said at the time, your roster, again, we don't live in a perfect world. It's not going to be every player on this roster is worth what you're paying. What A perfectly cons constructed roster will have the re requisite balance of overpaid and underpaid players. Underpaid ones will primarily be on their first contracts, ones that you're getting there. And then you have to pay more sometimes for help at other positions because either that's what the market dictates or whatever, or you just can't afford to cut somebody, even if they are making a little bit more than what they're worth. As long as they're not putting you in cap hell, you don't want to do that, not least of which, too, the effect of morale on a team. When it's all a one-way street of where, uh, again, you're, you're either fairly paid or underpaid, or we're going to get rid of you, what does that do to morale on a team? And that is a big part of why Analytics 1.0 is a big failure. 2.0 has been getting better because Andrew Barry has not taken it to those extremes. I think Andrew Barry has been very smart. Um, and we've talked about this. I was a huge advocate of, of putting this band together. Um, last year, it didn't happen. And then finally, I think they finally got it right this go-around. Um, I wanted Stefanski. I was willing to give, obviously, Freddie, all the, as a fan, all the 
opportunity in the world, and you know, I didn't really fault them for making that hire per se. Although, as you know, I was not a Dorsey fan. I was not a Dorsey. I, I kept seeing all problems with how he operated the team. Um, but all that aside, all that aside, not to get into history, I think the reboot to your point of analytics 2.0. You have a GM and a coach on the same page. You have GM and a, and a front office and a coaching staff that see things similarly. Finally, for the first time, probably since you know, by and large, since '99, you finally have a you finally have an alignment, which the Browns have talked about a lot in the last year, um, that is actually you know workable. And I think that that's the beginning of how you create culture and um, winning culture. You have to start with that. And, and I think they finally have that. They um, haven't seen any results on the field yet. Kevin Stefanski certainly seems like a very intelligent, organized, well-thought guy. Uh, but we haven't seen him have to get it done week in and week out with all the various problems that occur during uh, a season. That said, the offseason in his first year has certainly been one heck of a challenge for a young coach. And I, I got to say, I mean, he's, he's handled it, in my opinion, with flying colors. And he's handled the locker room well. He's handled the transition well. And if this is the kind of guy he is, I think we've got ourselves a winner uh, in Cleveland. That said, when we talk about 2020 for the Browns, there's just no way around the fact that all the new players the new system on both sides of the, of the football and having no off-season program, no rookie camp, no OTAs, no, no guy being able to get together in the building to study together um, the playbooks, um, this lack of preseason. I think that despite the talent that's on the Browns roster, and there is a lot of talent on this roster now, I never thought we'd see the day when look at the Browns offense and then other than maybe the Chiefs is probably the second most talented offense in terms of personnel possibly in the NFL top to bottom this I mean this offense with a proper offseason um, you could argue would, could possibly have been one of the most explosive uh, in the game now that is being said obviously with a little asterisk wondering if Baker is going to live up to what we think can be, um, you know, that remains still that the jury's still out on that, unfortunately, after last year. Um, but so far this year, he looks like he's focused. He's, he's in better shape than he was last year. And um, so those are good signs. I don't know um, what's going to happen with the accuracy. So, so far, the reports out of camp are he's been wildly inaccurate. I don't know, understand what's happened to the accuracy of a quarterback who was literally the most accurate quarterback ever coming out of college. Like, what has happened in the last year that he suddenly can't hit the broadside of a barn from three feet away? Um, is it mental, or is it just a function of the plays and the, the coaching, and last year was a mess and nobody was on the same page, and that affects, you know, accuracy looks bad when players aren't receivers that aren't where they're supposed to be, or he's not where it's supposed to be. Um, that's going to play into this year as well. New system, haven't again, no off season. I think maybe the struggles we're seeing right now with him and Camp are a function of learning the system. The players aren't all on the same page. They're trying to put these packages in and it's still so early that they're just they're it's 
Yeah. Um, all of that being said, this team has talent. I initially was going to pencil the Browns in at nine and seven. Um, and again, figuring nine and seven, despite the talent, there's question marks on defense, and figuring that with the new coaches and the new system, they're going to be they're going to be growing pains, and and that you can expect that, and especially early in the season, they would struggle. I still think that's the case. I think the first half of the season, the Browns are just they're not going to look good at times from the lack of all the offseason work. Um, that said, when you have quality tight ends, they do. When you have running backs that the Browns have, there's no reason they can't be competitive in each week despite some of the struggles that the passing game undoubtedly will encounter uh, to adapt to the new system. You've got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You you better be running the football three out of four plays. Um, there's no reason not to because that you have two of the, probably the top five running backs in the NFL on your roster, you should be just stuffing these guys down the opposing team's throats, taking the ball away from the other offense, and taking the pressure off of Mayfield as they start to acclimate. And I think that's what the coaches will do. All that being said, I'm going to downgrade the Browns um, to seven and nine because uh, it took place in the division simply because of the offseason and the COVID situation that's going to it, it, there's there's probably not a team more than the Browns that this is going to affect. Um, and then combine that with all the injuries they've already encountered in camp. Um, they're already suffering. Uh, and that's another hurdle. So I expect the Browns to struggle early. I expect them to be competitive. I expect that running game to be strong. But I there's just, with all these headwinds, no matter how good Stefanski and these guys have done and all the talent, there's so many headwinds with the Browns right now. So many. Uh, and it sucked because it, it felt like this was the year where they finally would get it all together and be good and give the city, the Browns fans, something to cheer about. But right now, I just can't be on nine because I just think there's so many there's so many headwinds. They're, they're bound to stumble, and the margin for error in the NFL is so is so narrow. Well, a lot to unpack there. Before I get to the COVID part of this, because I would agree with you, the Browns are maybe the team most affected by this, but I will say both positively and negatively, in a pure football sense, obviously the COVID situation is not good for anybody, but it hurts them, but there's also some things they can exploit. Before we get to that, the whole thing about Stefanski, when he was hired, I remember the initial reaction, because again, everybody was so pissed off and jaded by yet another failure here. Oh, and by the way, the whole thing of 20 years in, the the Browns like, oh, we're going to have alignment now. Uh, you want a cookie? It's been 20 years, dude. Uh, other teams do it, and, and they don't ask for a medal for having alignment between their front office and their coaching staff. So, you know, easy there on acting like you're so smart for thinking that your coaching staff and your GM should be on the same page 20 years in. But anyways, Stefanski, there was a lot of cynicism early on. Oh, he's a smart guy, well, whatever. But it's a thing here where you heard about his initial interviews with the players, the getting to know them all by Zoom, which presents its own challenges as far as interpersonal communications. But the way the players have reacted to this guy, it's a thing where, and I noticed this early on, it's a thing where he really benefits from the low expectations of Freddie Kitchens because he is a smart guy. But it's one of those things where, 
Uh, it's, it's like the hooker with the ugly pirate on her shoulder. Yeah, or, or parrot, I should not pirate, parrot on her shoulder. Like, it's all based on what you have that you're being compared to. And compared to Freddie Kitchens, he looks smarter still. His intelligence and what he can do for this team is all the more important to these players because of what they just saw previously. Oh, you're 100% right. I mean, look, Stefanski is the opposite of Freddie, yes. right? You're never going to see Kevin Stefanski at the movie theater in the <laughs> no, Pittsburgh shirt uh, the Friday before a game. I and mean, you remember I rambled about that last yep. year when it happened. Yep. Most of Cleveland was all like, he gets us, he's one of us, he looks ready, look at him with his F Pittsburgh shirt. And I was like, screw that. Why is Freddie out of the movies on a Friday night before the biggest game of the season against right. our arch rival? You would never see Bill Belichick doing that. I mean right. I was I was I was apoplectically just furious. Yes. The message it sent, the inconsistency after he had just told the team Hey, you know, let's not make all this personal. You guys got to behave yourself, and then that—I mean, that was that was the final straw for me. I was literally like, "Fire him now! He's a clown. I I want out of this experiment." That was it. Like that was—I had divorced Freddie Kitchen completely at that moment. Done. Um, You'll never see Kevin Stefanski do that. You know why? Because he'll be in the office game planning, working with his coaches on the Friday night before the biggest game of the season. Um, It's just how he's wired, and you can tell. And to your point, again, a 42-year-old guy communicating now with these 20-something-year-old, you know, mid-20-something-year-old guys, I think they're on the same page. I think they see the world the same. I think that stuff starts to matter. And um, they respect him. It's clear they respect him. Yep. Uh, obviously, you got to get out in the field and win. you got to see what he does on game day. But right now, he has this team. There's yes. no doubt about it. And and that's a big first step for a, for a young coach. And I think also, look, I think this team likes their GM as well. Man, I, I think they like their GM. Uh, he, he's very similar in that regard. Yes. They can talk to him. Um, they, they feel a, a, a kinship to him. Um, and, you know, Andrew Berry was a football player in college. Um, and I think that they, I think that there's a bond that's, that's starting to develop within the organization between players and, and organization. And that, it, to me, that's just is huge. Now, again, it's early. Let's see it develop. But for the first time in a long, 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 long time, I think we, as Browns fans, can say, okay, finally something's moving in the right direction. Absolutely. And as far as it goes with COVID, this has been a disaster defensively because I would agree with you. I think it's made the players more susceptible to injuries without having the offseason here. Losing Grant Delpit is, uh, Grant Delpit's loss is just immeasurable to this defense. For a guy that was going to be out there, you know, sort of as the center fielder and tying a lot of these things together like he did for LSU on that historically great team, that really, really hurts to lose him. Uh, and he's not the only injury that they've had defensively. And this is already a team that basically more or less decided to come in and, sorry, Mac Wilson, play a season without linebackers. That's basically how it looks on paper anyway. So you're, you're having issues here defensively. Offensively, you and I have talked about this off air. It is one of these things where you compared it to the college football season where there is no preseason. I've compared it to the NBA where Ben Chu and I, when we did our preview of the NBA bubble, I was saying, you know what, 
coaches would be smart to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. If you're Mike Malone, go out there and use Michael Porter Jr., use Ball Ball. That hasn't happened as much, but Michael Porter Jr. has been a big success by and large, and that's gone even further than I thought it would with some of these other players breaking out, including our guy, Shaq of the Mac Jr., up there in Portland. So the Browns have an opportunity with this brand-new offense to unleash it on an unsuspecting NFL they're not going to have film on it initially, although your point is very well taken. First, they must master it themselves, and based on the early reviews from what's happening in Berea, they haven't gotten there yet. It's a tough mountain to climb without any offseason. It just is. you got all these new players, new coaches, a new system. And you've finally been able to get together, um, you know, basically a month before the season starts. And don't forget, first 10 days they were on campus, it was all like classroom and like working out. I mean, they weren't even on the field the way the NFL had this thing broken down. Right. So, I mean, they are, they are you know, this would normally be preparation. They would have literally last night had their third preseason game. Yep. And they would have been working in packages, and the starters would have played two and a half quarters. Dress and, rehearsal. And, you know, they, they would have been, you know, they would have, and, and, and they are basically, I mean, in essence, like two weeks into, like, installations is all they've done in terms of practicing. Um. It's been a mess, and 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 I I feel so bad for these coaches because you know you, I, mean, I feel I don't think in any way Stefanski. I know the Browns' history, but I think I think right now with everything, regardless of what happens in this offseason, I mean Stefanski's on a five-year program. Sure. Mark my words on this. Yeah. Five years from now, he will still be the coach here. Right. So I will. I will. I will. Put, you can put it in the books. I will bet a hundred dollars against anybody that wants to. Uh, he will still be the coach of the Cleveland Browns in five years. Uh, in twenty, in August of twenty twenty-five, he will still be the coach. Um, all that said, uh, you know, you look at what the front office has done. You talk about the defensive side of the ball and the injuries. They know Lamar Jackson is a reality, right? Yeah. It's not a. There's a reason why they drafted. Grant Delpit and Jordan Phillips. Right. Those guys are fast and they fly around the field. Uh, they fit the kind of players you need and why they kept Mac Wilson around. Um, they fit the kind of players you need to contain a guy like Lamar Jackson. Period. Right. A guy like, and why re-signing Miles Garrett was critical. Um, now can Miles Garrett obviously dominantly rush the factor. But if, if Lamar Jackson gets out of the pocket, you and I both know, like, you know, Garrett kicks him down and tackle him. Right. <laughs> I mean, that guy is a freak. Um, so, obviously, re-signing him, signing guys that have range and speed was was the, obviously the, the, the what they were trying to accomplish defensively um, in terms of, you know, Phillips and Deltit. Uh, those guys, I look at them purely as, these are the guys that we're going, yeah, we're you going to use these guys to contain Lamar Jackson. Um, and, and that's, the, you know, and obviously losing Delpit is a huge blow. Yes. You know, Sheldon Redwine, the jury is still out. He's not Delpit. You can't play him all over the field. He's more of a deep safety than anything. Um, you know, where Delpit could be that third linebacker even. Uh, you know, so you're, you're going to have to change your schemes now because of the, the personnel losses. They're going to have to go out and get another safety, either on the waiver wire, trade for somebody. They're going to have to do something um, because 
where they are right now in terms of safety in the secondary, uh, it, it's not good enough. I will say one of the bright spots of the camp so far, supposedly, has been Denzel Ward has looked fantastic. Yep. Uh, in great shape, fluid. He, they say he is, he, they, they, so far, he's had his best camp yet. Um, and that's a great sign, especially with the injuries to Greedy Williams um, and, and the other secondary problems. It's, you know, you're going to need Denzel Ward to lock down uh, one of those sides and just be there all season. He's got to stay healthy if the Browns are going to compete this year. And well, he has any chance to play one of those wild card spots. Yeah, and uh, really, the, the, the physical skills have never been the question with Denzel Ward. Above all else, he's got to stay healthy. He's already taken a few unfortunate uh, hits to the head with concussions here. You don't want to see that guy end his career early with a drool cup because it would be a big shame of, you know, to lose that kind of talent. Hopefully, he can uh, stay healthy. The other, uh, so I had the Browns, by the way, at, at nine and seven when I did our predictions in fantasy football draftology, which again you can find on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com. That was before the Delpit injury. I would move him from nine and seven to eight and eight based on that, but uh, the team that I have at 5-11 and 11, bringing up the rear, I think we would all agree the consensus fourth place team in the division, but with the new quarterback they have, maybe not for long, our boy Joe Burrow down there with his first year in Cincinnati, but I've got him at 5-11, and 11. I think, again, trying to learn the, the whole offense there in Cincinnati, which is kind of a complex one, that's a tough thing to do, sans offseason as we generally know it, and uh, Cincinnati is a team that, uh, again, they have a lot of question marks in a lot of different places, although skill positions, I will say, uh, you know, they're really right now, and I don't mean this as damning with faint praise, I mean this as kind of a compliment, uh, sort of a poor man's version of what the Browns have And when you're looking at running back and wide receiver, and that's pretty good. Well, you know, first, just to cap the Browns, to your point, the Browns have so much talent in skill positions. We didn't even talk about it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, we just did, we just did a whole segment on the Browns that we we didn't talk about Landry, OBJ, um, other than my brief comment on Chubb and Hunt. You know, yeah. I think everybody in the Browns just says like, you know, there's a ton of talent there. I mean, that's probably the best skill positions in the entire division, if not in, in potentially in the AFC. Right. Um, to your point, Cincinnati has similar talent and talent that if it's Stay healthy and on the field, AJ Green. You know, that can be the things that really help a young quarterback. Cincinnati's got a lot of question marks on defense. Um, they've tried to address some of it, but you know, overpaying the free agency market doesn't usually work. Right. Um, and then, and then, um, you know, I feel for our boy Joe Burrow. And you know, side note, I. All those years ago, sitting in my season tickets at OU football games and, and two rows ahead of me watching that young man watch his dad's football team on Saturdays, I, had I ever known that he was going to be uh, That's amazing. Uh, a Heisman Trophy winner and, and, and first-round pick in the NFL, I would have been, if I said that at the time, I would have been, I would have been <laughs> thought of myself crazy. Um, but, uh, you know, it shows you how life is. Uh, and good for Joe. What a great story. Um I just think this year, if Brian locks, the Bengals are probably going to get no killed, and I feel bad. That line is not good, although they are getting back their first-round pick from the year before at left tackle, and people forget that they took a left tackle in the first round, and then he subsequently season to injury. Um, but overall, that, that line, and of course, again, he didn't play last year, two years away from playing, he hasn't shown us everything, so he's a huge, he's a 
not very good. Um, and and at least at this point, they they're not very good. And I think they could really get Joe banged up. Um, they're going to have to rely a lot on Mixon if you want to protect your quarterback. You've got to run the football, uh, you know. And that will take away the edge that they get with the skilled positions on the outside. Because if your if your young quarterback is struggling, you're going to run the football more. And so they're going to sort of neutralize their own weapons uh, in the process of trying to protect Joe. I think Joe's a smart guy. I think he's going to be a good NFL player. I just think this year we're not going to see it because there's just not enough certainty there. And going back to the points that we made about the offseason, I mean, come on, expecting a rookie to come in Without a, without rookie camp, without OTAs, without being with his coaching staff all off season, he's basically now the you know the designated starter. You know, six weeks before the the, the, the season begins, and oh by the way, now we're going to start to coach you. I, that's a tall order. And, and the analysts are like, well, who's going to have the better year, you know, Burrow or Mayfield? Clearly, Burrow. Well, like, you people are. What are you smoking? Um, right. Oh yeah, he was great last year, but new system. New league, uh, the the rookie adjustments, the speed, his bad O line. He had an amazing O line last year at LFC. Um, it, I just I look at all this and I just go, it's going to be a tough year. Yeah, uh, I think five and eleven is pretty spot on. When you look at the Bengals, they're going to win some games. Um, there's going to be some moments where you go, whoa, okay. Uh, the jury's still out on Zach Taylor. He showed us some things last year. Uh, but overall, it was a little shaky. Uh, he lost Alex Van Pelt, uh to the Browns. Right. And uh, I think that's going to hurt them. And, um, you know, I, I just think that Joe Burrow is going to struggle more than he's going to excel in his rookie year. And it's not his fault. Um, it's just circumstance. There's a reason the Bengals had the first pick. Uh, they're not very good. And he didn't get an offseason. And all of that adds up to probably a very challenging year for the young man. Very much so, yes. And uh, again, I know we're both, uh, you know, although we're both Browns fans, both rooting for him personally through his career. For for my thing here, having called Athens high school football games back in the day on WOUB uh, down there in uh, Athens County here, uh, to know that I would be calling football games in a stadium to be named for a future Heisman Trophy winner. Couldn't have imagined that, but uh, not to date myself, but the young man wasn't even born yet when I was calling those games. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, we, well, we're... I just want to say, what a testament to his parents about what a, what a good young man he is, yes. right? We've seen, you know, what he did for the uh, food pantry in Southeast Ohio. He yep, used God bless him. Speech mm-hmm. for, for, some, for some good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he seems like he is just a such a smart, well-grounded young man. I do love, I, you know, look, all that aside, I also love his swagger. Yes. You know, post-championship game, he's in the locker room. Oh, smoking band, band I'm lighting a cigar. You know, right. I love the swagger, but he's also a very thoughtful young man. Yep. Who his teammates, a lot like Baker Mayfield, obviously very much like. I mean, they love the guy. Um, and I think you even saw that in Ohio State when he left. I mean, there were guys on that team that were like, we, we hate to lose this kid. I mean, you know, he's a, he's a he's a guy we all like and look up to. Um, Absolutely, and and I think that says a lot about his parents and and the fact that he came out 
uh, before camp started, actually signed his deal right at the end before camp. And they asked him about, hey, Joe, what are you doing with your, you know, what's the first thing you're going to buy? You're going to buy a mud What are you doing? You found wealth. You know, here's this kid from Southeast Ohio who's like, oh, I'm banking all my playing money. I'm only going to live on money. Don't spend money. Yep. And my NFLPA, you know, jersey sale money. And why I'm, the contract money is going in the bank and I'm not touching it and I'm investing it. Now, I, you know, maybe I know there are other guys in the league that have done that. Marshawn Lynch, I and, think. And, I think Lynch Yeah, too. I mean, but you don't, you don't, it's pretty rare, right, right. that you see that. And, you know, another guy that he's never said it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does that like Miles Garrett, right? Right. I wouldn't be surprised if he had to touch a penny of his money. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> you're right. Contract. Uh, he's, a, he's built the same way. Um, so, I mean, I just think Joe's going to have a long, successful career because he's got a good head on his shoulder. Clearly, going to be a leader on that team very quickly in the near future. He'll be a captain next year on that team, you know. And, and, and the future is bright for him and for Bengals. And I'm gonna root for Joe, you know, every every week except when they're playing the Browns. Oh, me too. I feel the same way. And uh, you talk about him being a leader. Hell, he led me to uh, go get one of those swank. Uh, Ohio 740 shirts like he had on uh, draft night there. I made sure to get one of them things. So, yeah, big fan of Joe Burrow uh, personally, and I think in the long run uh, he will do fine, but he is going to take his lumps in the year 2020. But uh, that is something that he has in common with most of us. We're all taking our lumps in the year 2020, but uh, nevertheless, one (laughs) one of the great things we can do about this, Chris, is talk football. So, Thank you, Chris Galloway, for being a part of this segment. And uh, up next, part three, as we get into the 2020 AFC South.